Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hlistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Holly Morphew. Holly is an AFC. She's an award-winning financial coach based in Denver, Colorado. She is the founder of Financial Impact, a specialized financial coaching practice that helps entrepreneurs and professionals create personal wealth and financial independence. She is a pioneer in the personal finance industry. Holly's work has been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Yahoo Finance, Femme Founder, and more. She is the host of the Wealth Trifecta podcast. Holly's professional background in finance, real estate investing, and entrepreneurship are the foundation of Financial Impact's transformational programs. Her book, Simple Wealth, was on Bankrate's top 10 personal finance books of 2022 and is a number one bestseller on Amazon in nine categories, including personal finance and wealth management. Holly has a BA from the University of Colorado in International Affairs and Japanese with a minor in business. Now, in this podcast interview, Holly talks about how she achieved financial independence early on in life, why money is often a complicated subject for folks and for women in particular. We talk about the money mindset and why money habits are a key part of wealth building. Holly shares what to consider when it comes to money if, as a woman, you are single or unattached, what women should consider before getting married so their finances are secure, how to think about money and investing if you have kids, and how to divorce well financially. Holly talks about why working with a financial coach is a good idea, and to finish up, Holly shares her final thoughts on how women should build wealth and why this is important. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Please note that this podcast interview is for informational purposes only. We do not provide investment advice. Holly, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on today. Thank you so much, Yana. I'm very excited to be here. Now, before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to where you are today and why become a financial coach? Well, I am a financial coach because I am so passionate about teaching professionals and entrepreneurs how to manage their money so they create personal wealth. And the reason I got into this field was out of passion, really, and also learning that I had had a different experience with money growing up. My mom is a real estate investor, and so was her mom. Mm -hmm. And my dad is an entrepreneur, and so is his dad. And we talked about money at the dinner table in a way that was pretty neutral. It was business talk, I guess you could say. But of course, I didn't know that as a kid growing up. And it wasn't until I got out of college and into my early 20s and got started in the real world as a higher earner right out of the gate. I started working in real estate at the beginning of my career. 
And I bought a house at a young age and found that to be very empowering for me. And it opened up so many doors. I had a good friend move in and she helped me pay my mortgage and her rent was super cheap. And I started asking the question, why aren't more of my friends doing these kinds of things, making these kinds of money moves? And that's when I discovered that my friends were either uncomfortable with the topic of money or hadn't learned anything about money. And just from my own experience and K through 12 curriculum, we didn't get financial education in school. And so at the time I was a member of Rotary International, which is an international service organization. And I went to my club's board and I proposed a service project where I would go to local high schools and teach young adults about money. Brilliant. And it was so much fun. They approved the workshop right away. And I started teaching. I was taking time off work to teach this class. And pretty soon I had parents of my students and teachers wanting to sit in on my workshop, which again, baffled me because I'm thinking, well, don't adults understand money? And again, I started asking the question, what's going on? And it turns out that all ages are thirsty for financial education. And that's really how it began. It began as a service project, a passion project. I really loved it. And then in 2012, I started my first company. And then in 2016, Financial Impact, my now company, was born. And that's really how I became a financial coach. But my journey to wealth is a whole other story. And I'm sure that we'll get into that. I really like what you said there about the fact that your family, so both your mother and your father, would talk about money and that the topic of money was neutral. It was a business conversation. So you didn't have to deal with some of the complicated emotional baggage that I think a lot of people can struggle with if they're brought up in a family that has a complicated relationship with money. How empowering and important for you. And that, as you say, of course, led you to buy your first property at a very young age, which basically set you up for financial independence. How old were you? I'm curious when you first bought your house. I was 25. And so essentially got into a situation where you're building wealth with your property, paying off your mortgage, and then you could obviously do other things and think about setting up your own business. Exactly. And what I found was kind of a few years down the road, I had a completely different experience with money because here I was teaching this workshop living in this, you know, big, beautiful house. I had the job and I had the lifestyle and, you know, the car and all the things that we're taught to have to be successful and happy. And I'm a Capricorn, so I'm, <laughs> I'm driven to work hard and success has always been something that's been important to me. But what I found was that even though I was building wealth, building equity in my home, et cetera, and I had a roommate, I still had financial anxiety. And that anxiety came about because when I was 20 years old, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness and my medication was $5,000 a month and my insurance did not cover it. And so I needed the medication really to take care of myself, to heal myself. And I used credit cards to buy it for about six months. And mm -hmm. this is after I had graduated from college. I was living on the East Coast in Boston here in the US and I realized that my lifestyle wasn't sustainable. And so I moved back home and lived with my parents for a year and saved money while I got a job and got better so that I could work again. 
But that experience and having to climb out of that hole of debt sort of stayed with me, even through, you know, purchasing the home. And it wasn't until we had three back-to-back snowstorms in Colorado, where I live, that I started to question what path am I on financially? And is this really working for me? Because my office was 40 miles from my home. At the time I drove a Honda Accord. And I just realized if I got on the highway to go to work that I would be risking my life because the snow had just shut the whole state down. And so when I called my boss and shared with her that I was concerned for my safety to come into work, she said, well, if you don't come in, you're fired. And that really caused me to, again, think deeply about what am I doing in life? I'm living this version of success that I've been told is what I should, and I put that in air quotes, be doing. But really, I wasn't happy. I had a lot of financial anxiety because of the debt. And I realized if I went to work, I'd be risking my life for a job to pay my bills, to keep doing what I was doing. And so I did make it to work and home safely that night. And that's when I got out my credit card statements and discovered that I had $67,000 of credit card debt. Now, here I am teaching personal finance, but also dealing with financial anxiety myself. And it's not because I was irresponsible. It's not because I was stupid. It's really because life was happening and I was sort of in the midst of it. And that experience led me to, well, I called my financial advisor and asked him, what should I do? This is the situation that I'm in. And after listening, he asked me how much more money I wanted to invest each month. And I realized that he could not help me out of the situation that I was in, which ultimately I just wanted more freedom and choices in my life. And so I committed to learning everything I could about passive income, entrepreneurship, debt elimination, wealth management, personal finance, all the things related to money. And I created a system and applied it to my personal finances. And three years later, I was debt-free. And then I had money in the bank after that. I became financially independent in my 30s. And then I became a millionaire a year later. And today I have 11 streams of income just following this simple system that I created out of really necessity. And so that's really what inspired me today to continue coaching. And that's what I wrote my book. My book is called Simple Wealth. It's a best-selling book. And it just breaks down, this is the strategy to eliminate debt, to build wealth, to create residual income. Because at the end of the day, whether you're a high earner or not, it really doesn't matter how much money we make. What matters is how much we keep and what we do with it. Fascinating story, Holly. And I was thinking as you were talking there, nothing forces you to have more insight around money than if you get into a difficult situation with your money. It really forces you to learn a lot, doesn't it? To kind of think about, well, how do I get myself out of this? Which is exactly what you've done. Why is it that money is often such a complicated and tricky subject for folks? And I think for women in particular. Well, money is interesting because we are taught to think of money as this tangible thing that is in our life. But the truth is, is money is intangible and it is energy. At the end of the day, money is energy. We're going to work to get a paycheck and then it's a matter of what do we do with it? And what I find is that a confused mind says no. 
And most people are confused when it comes to money. Again, because we don't teach financial education. And mm -hmm. also add to it that money is a taboo subject. Add to that the gender wealth gap. Mm -hmm. Add to that that we form our stories, our money stories, prior to age seven, usually before we're even verbal. That is very early. I had no idea. Yes, yes. And so I'm an accredited financial counselor, which means that every year I have to earn, they're called continuing education units. And it's fascinating, the research that is being done around the topic of money. And there was a researcher from a university here in the States who studied whether or not money is an emotional subject. And so they did this by seeing what part of the brain lights up when faced with a money decision or asked a money question. And where one might think, and this was me in my past life, you know, prior to really opening my eyes to the power of having an abundant mindset and the power of having a strategy. When I just thought, money is money and it is what it is, which now I know is not true, is that the front of the brain, our frontal cortex, the intellectual part of our brain is what one might think is what would light up when asked about money. But what happened was it was the amygdala, which is the emotional center of our brain that's activated first. And so I think that that's why money can be a challenging subject for a lot of people is because we have to break through certain barriers and open ourselves up to learning a new way, to creating new money stories. And I work with a lot of clients who have money stories that are holding them back, whether it's worthiness or it's a block about meeting their needs or their ability to meet their needs. And at the end of the day, it comes down to self-actualization, which is what we're really doing. Whatever investment path you take or whatever money management path you take, at the end of the day, what our objective is, is to align our mindset, which can be as expansive as we want it to be, because anyone who's ever created wealth just created it. We just created literally <laughs> out of thin air and hard work. But it really does truly come down to what are we telling ourselves about money and then what information are we using to create it in our life? I want to come back to the money mindset point because it's such an important one. But before we do that, can we talk briefly about what some of the common money mistakes are that we see people make or women make in particular that they should avoid what are you seeing? What are your clients coming to you about? What are some of the key issues that they're grappling with? So I'll share two things. And the first one that's coming to mind specifically with women is that it's really only been in the past two to three generations that women have been empowered when it comes to money. We're able to work. We're able to take on credit in our own name. And so it's really been just a few decades that we are able to manage our own money. And so I still find that there are a lot of women out there who sort of default to their partner, their husband, or mm -hmm. someone else, their parents to guide them and make money decisions. Do you find that across the generations or is it specific generations only like the Gen X's or the baby boomers versus millennials? Is there a difference? I find that it's really Gen Xers and baby boomers, for sure, who are deferring to a partner to take care of them. Yes. Millennials are a little different. I feel like they look at themselves as more of an autonomous unit. Mm -hmm. And specifically what's coming to mind is retirement accounts. You know, here in the U.S., 
we can get an individual retirement account in our own name, men and women. And I recommend that both people in a partnership have one, not just one person. I mean, ideally, if we're going to retirement or we're going to financial independence and we're in a partnership, we're going there together. Right. And so, you know, you can save your nest egg, sure, in one account, but life happens. People pass away, people get divorced. So it's like, why not prioritize both individuals in that partnership, their financial independence? And so that's really the first thing I would say to any woman that I'm working with who doesn't already have savings accounts in her names or retirement accounts in her name. Go ahead and get those assets in your name so that now you're growing and whether it's a tax advantaged account or it's a high yield savings account, let's get some money in your name so that you have access to it and you don't have to fight for it. And the second thing is awareness. A lot of people are not willing to look at their money. And that was definitely the case for me because my debt grew, but I had a pretty good job where I made good money. And so I had an idea of what was coming into my accounts and an idea of what was flowing out of my accounts, but I wasn't looking at it every month. And the truth is that money will do whatever we tell it to do. And so now I coach my clients to have a money date every month. I have an amazing money date guide on my website. I have a ton of great free resources on my website, which is financialimpact.com, which basically just walks you through, hey, here's how to have a money date with yourself. This is what to look at. And then this is where to put your money. This is the highest and best use of your extra dollars, whether you're in debt or you're trying to build savings or you're wanting to create residual income and invest your money. Fantastic advice. The money mindset then is so fundamental, isn't it? To how you think about money, how you think about yourself with money, wealth building. Can you talk a little bit about that? How did you get yourself out of fairly substantial credit card debt? Because that required, I can imagine, a big mind shift and a money mindset shift. Yeah. Well, number one is if you want to build wealth, then it starts with income. So again, you don't have to have a lot of money, but the more money you can create each month consistently over time, the easier it is, truly. And so... I feel like there's a lot of hype around being self-employed today, but there's so much value in having a steady paycheck with benefits because you really can plan out and map where you're going to put your money over the long term. It also requires behavior changes. That was the first thing that I did when I committed to changing my money situation was actually looking at my money and creating that awareness because awareness is the seed of transformation. And transformation was what I was after. I really wanted to create a life for myself where I could be my own boss. That really appealed to me. That's not for everyone, but that's something that I wanted. And I knew that the key for me to get there, to free myself up, so to speak, was to get rid of the debt. And so, of course, I started with trimming expenses. Anything that wasn't necessary, I just cut it out, reduced a lot of expenses, eliminated a lot of expenses. But then I realized I could get to debt freedom and financial independence if I increase my income. And so I just started looking at what are my personal interests, my current resources, or my unique skills, and how can I monetize those? And we're fortunate to be living in a world where money is infinite. 
for me, it was five hours a week. You know, when I looked at my schedule, I already had a pretty demanding job at 60 to 70 hours a week, but I knew I was watching five hours a week of TV. So instead of watching TV, I started learning ways to make money in my free time, you know, going back to resources, skills, and interests. So that's how it began. And at the end of the day, what's really happening as we go on this path to personal wealth is for anyone out there who's listening, who's in a state of financial anxiety. And I know that here in the U.S., Capital One recently did a survey and found that 73% of Americans say that financial anxiety is their number one source of anxiety, which is fascinating to me and a little scary. But what happens is when we're in that fear state and personal finance does fall at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So we need food, water, air, shelter, clothing. And then we move into security of our body, security of employment, security of food, resources. And that's where money falls. And when we're in that anxious state or when we're in fear, we're contracted. And so what happens is that we're not able to see the possibility of deeper and more meaningful relationships or being able to spend some time in creativity or self-actualization, actually using the gifts that we were born with. And so the idea is that we want to ascend Maslow's hierarchy. We want to get out of that fear, anxiety state. And the way that we do that is we, I call it going to the source. You know, anytime we're in a fear state, then we go to that fear and we look at it because fear and power are actually synonymous. They are one and the same. We're afraid because we're giving it power. And once we start to look at it, that power dynamic shifts in our favor. And so for me, it was the debt. Well, what am I afraid of? And it ended up looking like, oh, well, I'm giving power to these things that I want. But that's just me saying that I want them. What if I actually didn't want the things that I don't need and I could actually save an extra, call it $1,000 a month and eliminate my debt faster. And so it really, again, it does come back to mindset. And we live in a world that is operated largely by a consumer-driven global economy. And so for me, I was able to say, okay, I'm advocating for myself. I'm putting my laser beam focus on where it is that I want to go. I'm filtering out all of the noise in the world that tells me to be afraid of something or buy this or I need that. And I'm asking myself every single day over and over again, where is it that you want to go, Holly? And that caused me to save a lot more money and spend a lot more energy on things that would get me closer to my goals instead of further away from my goals. So you became crystal clear about what you wanted, where you were going, and therefore you were prepared to make sacrifices to basically get to your goal. I can imagine a lot of people would struggle with this idea. It requires a completely new mindset and it requires a completely new identity, I think, and also discipline, right? It really does. And also it comes back to, it's funny how things come full circle back to our self-worth. Mm -hmm. And our ability to speak into our boundaries and say to the family, you know what, I have a financial goal and it's so important to me. So I'm not going to be buying Christmas presents this year. Mm. Or it used to be that every time I would go to someone's home, I would bring a bottle of wine and some flowers. Mm -hmm. Well, that adds up, especially today, because things are just more yeah. expensive today. As you know, I love crafts. And so I will make homemade bath bombs or bath salts, or I love to diamond paint. So I'll make a beautiful painting of something that reminds me of my friend. And 
these are ways that I found that I can save money without spending money. Or if a friend asks, let's go out and, you know, have a cocktail in the middle of the day. And I might propose, why don't we go to the park or let's take a walk or let's go for a bike ride. And so really being intentional with how I'm spending my time. And if I have a financial goal, letting people know that I have a financial goal so that they can support me in it instead of feeling like, oh, you know, Holly's not buying gifts. It's like, cool. Holly has this goal. I'm going to help her reach her goal. Yeah. Suddenly you're part of it and you can feel good about supporting your friend reach your goal, which is a very important one. And it leads me nicely onto the next point, which is around strategy, because you talk about strategy, don't you? And why this forms such an important part of wealth building. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Strategy is so important. There are a lot of financial professionals out there who make it complicated. But the truth is, is that wealth building is simple. It's 20% strategy and 80% mindset, but the strategy is really important. And so the way I break it down is into four pillars of wealth, just four pillars of wealth, and that's it. And we build them in order one at a time. And the reason is because the value of your dollars based on where you are on your wealth journey or the wealth spectrum, it really matters. And so going back to the debt. Debt isn't bad. It's just expensive. It is a tool that we can use to buy a business or buy property or get student loans or whatever it is that can actually support us in making more money. And so we have to think about that. But the four pillars of wealth start with number one, maximizing cash flow. And right there, to me, that's exciting because you can maximize your cash flow either by increasing your income or decreasing your expenses, or both, kind of depending on what is appealing to you right now. And then after you've maximized your cash flow, what you're doing is you're identifying your impact number. That's what I call it, your impact number. Income minus expenses every 30 days. However much money you have left over, we're gonna put it to its highest and best use. And your impact number is gonna change every month because we get cash infusion. Sometimes we get paid once, twice, three times, et cetera. And expenses are different every month. Expenses are periodic. They're unexpected. And there's a way to plan for that. I actually don't teach budgeting because not many people are going to take the time to reconcile their accounts down to the dollar. But a lot of people will take the time to make a plan and then look at what actually happened. And so we maximize the cash flow. And then let's say you have a $1,000 impact number. Or maybe it's 100 or maybe it's negative. Then, you know, it's like, OK, well, I need to do some things to get myself into a positive situation. And then you build the remaining three pillars. Number one is eliminate debt. Then we strategically save and then we create residual income. And so number one, maximize cash flow. Number two, eliminate debt. Number three, strategically save. And number four, create residual income. And the reason that they go in that order is because once you've eliminated the debt, and again, there's a strategy to eliminating debt, and it's not readily available knowledge, unfortunately. I like to use a debt avalanche, which you know anyone can Google, but all you're doing is paying off your highest interest rate debt first. You're only paying the minimums on the others so that you can get the most value from your dollars. But once the debt is gone, imagine how much your cash flow is going to go up. So then we strategically save. And when I say strategically save, I mean, we don't want to oversave. 
because the potential returns we can get in the market outweigh the guaranteed yields that we can get on savings accounts. So again, that's why we save before we create residual income because those yields are guaranteed. And that's a beautiful thing. That's safety. Now we're ascending Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now we can breathe. Now we're debt free. We've got some money in the bank. If anything happens, we can pay for that. And then we move into creating residual income, which within that pillar, it gets even more exciting because now we're talking about maximizing retirement accounts and tax advantaged accounts. We're talking about investing, whether you're investing in paper assets or you're investing in a business or you're investing in yourself so that you can make more money. So again, there's so many ways to create additional income, but we really wanna focus on that once we are debt-free and we've got some money in the bank. Fantastic. And I think it's very inspiring for anyone who feels like they're struggling with their finances at the minute. And I'm sure there are people, quite a few people out there at the moment, given how high inflation is, right? We've got the cost of living crisis here in the UK. I think globally, People obviously are not feeling like they have a lot of extra money. It's actually very soothing and extremely empowering to think that there is a formula, there is a process to this. And if you follow it, you will get to your goal, your financial goal. Absolutely. And if you're willing to work and earn a paycheck, then you can do this. You can do this. And I would invite whomever is sort of suffering financially, and I have been there myself, to think about what is something that you can do right now, just temporarily, say for 12 months. Maybe it's uncomfortable, but what is one thing that you can do, and whether that's cutting out alcohol, or it's getting a roommate, or it's selling your car and riding a bike temporarily, But what's something that you can do right now to reach one of those goals, whether it's being debt-free or saving or just getting started investing? Because that can be really powerful. It's really amazing what can happen once you reach just one financial goal and then you realize that you can do it. And then you keep going and one day you do wake up financially independent or completely debt-free because life is long if we're lucky enough to live. It will happen. Yeah. If you can take one action, one step forward where you see relatively quick feedback, it's going to put you in that very positive state of mind to keep on trying and and move forward and to build that momentum, which I think we all need, especially if we're struggling with money right now. We keep hearing about this recession, whether we're going into one, whether we're already in one in the UK been confirmed we'll be in a recession kind of at the end of this year early next year so it's going to get tougher for people so just getting ready for that as well I think is important I want to bring up the topic of women who are single so they're not in a relationship they're not married women who choose to be without a partner and interestingly this segment of the demographic is growing How should these women be thinking about their money and investing? Knowing what we know, we're familiar with some of the gender norms and the societal conditioning that women have had. What should single women specifically be thinking about here? Well, it comes down to protecting yourself. Knowledge is power when it comes to money. And so it's like having a safer sex conversation before you have sex with someone for the first time. It's the same thing with money. I work with an estate planning attorney because part of taking care of your money is protecting your money. 
we work out together and we were at a class at the gym and she said, you know, Holly, you have to be careful who you hitch your wagon to. (laughs) (laughs) And it just made me giggle because it's so true because she's been through a divorce. I've been through a divorce and truly whomever you couple with, whether you're just living together or you're actually managing your money together, what is theirs is yours and vice versa. And I don't want to say never that I would never get married again. I'm also financially independent. And I I guess if someone were to bring something to the table financially, and at the end of the day, we're making a business arrangement. That is what marriage is. That is what modern day marriage is. It is a business arrangement. So if you're the CFO of your personal finances, then you want to know, you want to look at their credit report. You want to know what kind of assets they're bringing to the table. You want to know what kind of assets you're bringing to the table. Like, where are you exposed? Because there's a lot of power in a couple, in a partnership. Truly, you can get to financial independence faster if that's what you choose to do in a couple, because now if both people in the couple are working, or it could be a situation where maybe you're good with one person's income. That's also a beautiful thing. You know, this money game is not about making so much money for what? Really, it's about life is for living. We're here on this earth for just a short period of time. Let's make it count. And so if you're willing to be transparent about your money situation, and they're willing to be transparent about their money situation ahead of time before you tie the knot, that's so crucial. And then you can both together talk about, well, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. And then managing the money together can be a powerful partnership. So again, you know, anyone, whether you're male or female, we all need to be thinking about creating assets. And an asset is just something that you own, whether it's a savings account or something that you own that's going up in value over time. It could be property, it could be a business, it could be your stocks, bonds, mutual funds, et cetera. But then there's the question of, well, how do we manage money together? And I'm of the belief, and this is another thing that I discovered so early on. I'm like, why aren't people talking about this? Here in the U.S., anytime you buy something and get a loan, the bank or lender wants both people's names on that debt. But the truth is, is if you can keep your debt separate, you both have so much more buying power, so much more ability to leverage and assets are truly what create wealth. And so thinking about it from that position, you know, keeping things separate, especially your debt can be a really powerful strategic tool in getting to financial independence. That is wonderful advice. And when you're talking to your partner, this is before you've got married, you bring up the topic of money, finances, investing, if they're not comfortable with that conversation, or they shut you down, that is so telling. And that is a major red flag and you run for the hills. Speak, sister. 100%. Yes, because again, marriage is a business relationship, right? I think it was Kim Kardashian who said that. My sister shared that with me this weekend when we were walking. But here in the US, financial stress is the number one reason that couples split up. And so if you can't talk about money on the front end of the relationship when you're in that dating courting phase, and I don't mean to sound negative, but it's only going to get worse because generally we're on our best behavior at the beginning of a relationship, right? Yeah. If it's tricky at the beginning, it will only get more difficult as time goes on. And it's so important not to turn a blind eye to this stuff. 
Really, it's so important to become very laser focused on the money piece. Very easy to get carried away with everything else. But at the end of the day, it does come down to how we manage our money. And if that differs from your partner dramatically and not in a good way, then that will impact your life negatively. So you need to get that right. And I think shockingly, a lot of women's stories that I've certainly heard They don't think about the money piece until a life event, until they are separated or getting separated or going through a divorce or perhaps they're widowed. And then they discover all sorts of things, which might be quite shocking in many instances. So you want to avoid that and be on the front foot. What about women who have children? Because that adds more complexity And again, I hear stories of women who have a 10-year career, they get married, they have kids, they might stop working for a little bit, they then go back, might start working part-time, or they go back to work after, say, five years, they earn less money, and oftentimes they will just spend all of their income on covering the kids' expenses, Very little, if any, of that money goes towards themselves investing, that sort of thing. So they're not thinking about their money and wealth building during that time. What are your thoughts? Have you had those conversations with clients? How do women specifically who have children, young children, need to think about that? You know, parenting is a team effort. And we know now that women have taken a majority role, let's say, in parenting and raising kids while men went to work. And that is the reality of how things have been. And of course, it's changing. But if you're devoting your full income or you're stepping out of the workplace to raise children, you still need to be thinking about your financial future. And so what that could look like is, again, a contribution every single month into your personal retirement account so that you are participating in the ability to earn compound interest because you know compound interest really only kicks in at let's say year 20 right and so the earlier you start saving for your future the better and so if you're a woman and you're giving up your career you're stepping out of the workforce for a period of time then his income or your partner's income needs to supplement that, let's call it an opportunity cost. And so if that means reducing or refining your lifestyle so that you can still put some money away for your future, then do that, right? Because we can have everything that we want, but maybe not all at the same time. And so there is always an opportunity cost when it comes to money. And so maybe thinking about maybe it's one less summer camp in a five-year span. And instead putting that two to three or $5,000 summer camps can be expensive into Mm -hmm. a retirement account could be powerful, but don't quit because the kids have needs, keep going and find a way to create a lifestyle around raising the kids and saving for your future. Because what I see happen a lot is parents are in their forties and sometimes even their fifties and they're sacrificing their retirement for their kids' education, Mm. or they're getting on to, they're called plus loans, parent plus loans here in the U.S., to fund their kids' education to their future detriment. Mm. And what that creates is another generation, the kids who are getting their education paid for by their parents, they're going to have to take care of their parents, which is another financial burden. 
And so we've got to put our own air mask on first. Because when we are empowered, when we are the healthiest we can be, mind, body, soul, financially, then we can care for others. And it's kind of like donating to charity. I'm a big giver. And I do believe that if you want to receive more, then start by giving more. But you don't have to give your money if right now you have debt, because that comes at an opportunity cost of taking care of yourself and your future self. And one day you're going to become your future self. So find other ways to give besides monetarily, and you'll see that come back in your life. And so that looks like a parent having a tough conversation with a kid like, hey, I'm in my 40s, I'm in my 50s, I'm not on track for retirement. When you are in your 40s and 50s, you're going to want me to be in retirement and not taking care of me. So let's find another way for you to fund your education, whether it's scholarships, grants, or taking part-time classes or not going to an expensive private university. There's so many ways to get an education today without spending Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars. Absolutely. It's so difficult though, to have that conversation if money has just not been a topic of conversation, because you need to have that clarity. You need to Be neutral, just as you described earlier on, Holly, in your family, you were neutral, you were very business minded or orientated in terms of how you talked about money. And you need to be very clear headed and to be able to say, look, I'd love to support you. Let's look at some options which make sense for all of us rather than the mother father taking on a massive loan burden to try and fund their kids through uni. In the US, obviously, education is super expensive. It's increasingly expensive here in the UK, but nowhere near as expensive as in the US. So we're talking enormous amounts in the US, and that's very, very tricky. Money is an important subject to have open in a family because kids are always learning, and money is ever-present, whether you talk about it or not. Again, it comes back to safety and security for young kids to know that mom and dad are on a budget. Mom and dad's mortgage is X, Y, Z. There's interesting research around if kids get financial education at a young age, whether or not that impacts their behavior later in life, because kids simply don't have any skin in the game when it comes to money. They don't understand the difference between a $10 pack of gum or a $1 pack of gum, for example, because they're not making it or spending it or trading their time for money. But to demonstrate to your young children that you have a bank account, that every month you pay bills, that you know, you're going to work so that you can pay the bills and that you're aiming to stay on a, I call it a spending plan every month and demonstrating that you're staying on that spending plan can be really powerful for young kids because then they can start to see, oh, My parents are making daily decisions around where they spend their money, how they spend their money. Is this my dollar's highest and best use? Or would I rather save the $200 night out with the family to go to a concert in a couple of months and share that? Like, hey, I want to take you to Disney on ice. So Mm. we're not going to go out to dinner tonight because I want to get you tickets to do that. And then kids will start thinking, oh, that's how money works. There's a trade-off because these days with credit, you know, I don't have kids myself, but I've watched my friends who have kids raise them and parent them around money. And it's so funny, the questions they ask where they think that money isn't real because we're just swiping credit cards. 
And I do believe that this is one of the reasons that many people are struggling with financial anxiety is because it becomes real when you start working in the real world. And if you haven't been educated around the daily decisions that we're all making around whether or not we spend our dollars here or there, then it can be very scary and very overwhelming. Very debilitating, right? Because it's suddenly such a massive shock to your system. I can imagine it can feel unbearable to some people. Whereas if you've been in a family or if you are part of a family that constantly talks about money and there is a, as you refer to a spending plan and everyone knows what it is, there's a framework. You've got a way of thinking about it. There's a kind of vision around it. You've got these subconscious habits, which are positive, as opposed to having to unlearn stuff that was probably negative in some way. So yes, for parents with children, I mean, you can do them a massive favor by getting this right. Absolutely. And it becomes a collaboration, right? Now the whole family's been on it. It's like, cool. What do we want to do? Like, where do we want to go on vacation? Well, what do we need to do in order to reach that goal? And learning how to reach goals, we all know that it takes discipline. It takes showing up for yourself. Anything that was ever worth achieving probably wasn't easy, right? Mm -hmm. So for kids to learn that and be doing it together within a family, now you're talking about values, Okay, fam, what do we really want to create together? What do we value as a family? Do we value nature? Do we value integrity? Do we value freedom or patriotism? There's so many things to choose from. And so it shifts the conversation to one of, again, expansion and creativity. And that's a fun place to live. And you're teaching a very important habit, which is delaying gratification. Yes. Which is how we build wealth ultimately. That's right. We've touched upon divorce and I just want to close the circle. If there are any women listeners who are thinking about divorce, would like to divorce, how do you divorce well, Holly? Is there such a thing? There is absolutely such a thing. And again, it comes down to, at least for me, it was identity. And so In 2012, I did an exercise for the first time where I did get very clear on what my core values are. And it's ironic to me that it took me that long in my life to ever do that kind of exercise. But I do live my life according to my core values. And they've shifted and sort of evolved over time and I've added some to it. But when my ex-husband and I split up after 10 years of marriage and we owned a business together, we owned property together, as you do in this lifetime, we created a lot of intermingling of cash assets, our life, our family, our friends. Mm -hmm. We shook hands and looked each other in the eyes and we promised two things. The first thing was to be kind to each other throughout the process. And the second thing was to only say nice things about each other to our friends and family. And that was our commitment to embodying the people that we knew ourselves to be about to go through something very, very difficult. Because in divorce, in general, you start with 100% and you go to 50%. You know, like I hate to say that because it sounds tough, but it is tough. Divorce is tough. And there are ways to make it less tough. You can be married without commingling your money. That is totally possible. And that is available to you. But if you've commingled like we did, then it's about standing from how you see yourself. And I see myself as a person of integrity who does the right thing, 
treat others the way you want to be treated. So we also chose to go through mediation instead of hiring an attorney. We knew that to have our business evaluated, that would cost thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars that we both preferred to keep and split. So I do think that it comes down to how you want to experience your divorce and then showing up that way. And the other person's going to do what they're going to do. We have no control over that, but we have a lot of control over how we show up. Now, Holly, I can't possibly let you go without asking, why is working with a financial coach a good idea? And how does this differ to working with, say, a financial planner or advisor, just so people understand the difference? Yes. Well, it's a completely different experience, completely different process and objective. The way I look at a financial advisor, financial planner is they are there to help us invest money that we already have. A financial coach like myself, my goal is to help you create more money to invest. It's a great distinction. Holly, do you have any stories that you're happy to share, obviously, about a female client and their journey with you to financial independence, anything that you found inspiring, you were inspired by that you'd love to share with us? Oh my gosh, I have so many stories. I mean, all of my clients have financial success because I only work with people who I know I can give them the transformation that they're coming to me for. So not everyone is a good fit, but usually by the time people land on my website and they filled out a coaching application and we get face to face because I do offer a free consultation, generally, you know, 80% of the time they're a good fit and we're going to work together. I had a client who has now become a friend that happens a lot and she was a high earner. She made between two and $300,000 a year, but she always had debt. You know, she was just always carrying this, you know, debt and really didn't know why or how to get it gone. Also, her personal finances and her business finances were sort of together. And she had two kids. She was a single mom. And she really had this dream of living in a house where she could ride her bike, ride the bike with the kids, take the kids to school on the bike. And, you know, it always starts with the vision. It always starts with the vision. What's financial success to you? What are your core values? And then we integrate the strategy into that vision. And the strategy, again, it's so simple. And so in my program, we're meeting every other week for four months. And so my clients are going on this journey and I'm holding their hand through the journey and they get unlimited access to me. And so that means we're communicating whenever they need and about whatever is top of mind. There's plenty of room for organic conversation when it comes to money because so many things come up. Well, you know, today she's built a house in this beautiful neighborhood, mountain views. It's the bike lifestyle. The debt is gone. The debt was gone before our program even ended or even shortly thereafter. And now she's buying rental property. Actually, she emailed me last year to tell me that she was now buying property, which is really exciting. I'm curious, why was she always hanging on to the debt? I think that there was an assumption that debt is just part of it, just part of the game, just the way it goes. And also as an entrepreneur, there's always something new to invest in, whether it's a skill or a program or, you know, whatever it is, because we wear so many hats. And I think once she realized that, number one, there's a strategy to eliminating debt fast and by paying the least amount of interest and that she would never have to go back to that again and started to see the cash flow of her business go up as a result of it. It was just like, oh, well, I've dealt with this and this is never going to come up again. 
Well, that's a wonderful story. I'm sure you have loads of others, Holly. And, you know, what I like about this stuff is for a long time, right, people might be struggling with a specific money issue. And then they get to a point where they say, look, I've had enough. Like, I need to deal with this now. They get the help or they get the support. And in a relatively short space of time, they sort it out. And then they're just on that sort of upward trajectory. And all they need is a process, right? A system and support and belief that they can make that change. And it really will make a huge impact. Yes. And I want to mention another client that I worked with just last year who was not a high earner. She came to me because she was working in marketing and I think she was making maybe in the 60s. She had roommates. I think she had three or four roommates and just couldn't afford to live by herself and also was struggling with debt and just lifestyle. You know, she's a millennial. She'd been working in the workforce for a few years and she's like, when is it going to get easier? And so during our program, because I look at all of the different things, the pay stubs, the checking account, the savings account, the credit cards, math and science were always what I was good at. And so I can create a wealth strategy for someone and I just immediately can see their path to financial independence. But a big part of it for her was I went and did some research on her title and her responsibilities and what people get paid in her industry across the board and discovered that she was being underpaid. And so I coached her into, let's schedule a meeting with your boss. Here's what to say during this meeting. These are my accomplishments. This is what I've done here at work. This is the research that I found. And this is my ask. This is my request. Well, she ended up getting a $27,000 raise from that one. And she was like, Holly, I had no idea that this was even available to me. So now she lives on her own. You know, she's moved into her own place. She got promoted to director. She's had three promotions since I worked with her last year. And it all came about because she learned what she was worth and she just needed someone to teach her and to show her. And that's what I love about coaching is sometimes it's just about a paradigm shift. And then, like you said, we are off to the races. Yeah. Really powerful. And so everyone has something that's fairly unique to them that they need to work on. And it might be that you're just not good at asking for that pay rise or like the other client you mentioned, for some reason, she always carried a little bit of debt. Whatever it is, there's a specific strategy for it. So the first step is acknowledging that there's an issue that you'd like to address around money and then going for it. Holly, what is your most important money lesson? I would say it was awareness. That was really what changed everything for me was how much power there is in just looking at my money without any judgment and just thanking the debt. Like, thank you for getting me this far. Thank you for my body being healed because I was able to get the medication that I needed. Now I'm going to make a different choice. So awareness is huge. The other thing I would say that's really impacted my journey to wealth is shifting from a scarcity mindset to an abundant mindset and knowing that abundance is our natural state of being and we just have to get out of the way and invite all that abundance into our life, whether it's with money or it's with relationships or it's with your health. I always say that, you know, wealth is for everyone and it truly is. We just need a little coaching, a little system, a little strategy to be able to access, but it is literally just waiting for us to claim. 
Holly, thank you so much. You've shared so much with us today. I've got one last question before I let you go. What's your final message to women who are listening to this today about how to build their wealth and why it's so important? Because one day you're going to become your future self and may she be lovely and abundant and thriving. I always say that Every day is an opportunity to practice becoming wealthy. There is no perfection in this money game. Perfection just doesn't exist. Just doing your best. And you don't have to be good in order to start. You just have to be willing to start somewhere. Wherever your wealth journey begins is perfect. And every day you're either building wealth or you're not. And again, it doesn't matter how much money you make. What matters is how much you keep and what you do with it. That's a lovely point to end on, Holly. Thank you so much. If listeners want to find you, if they want to connect with you, how can they do that? Yes. Well, my website is financialimpact.com. You can find me on all the socials, particular Instagram is where I'm the most active. At Holly Morph is my handle. Wonderful. Thank you, Holly. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Yana. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.